Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. It's Jennifer Silliman. I'm here today with a friend, actually, from high school who is currently the assistant clinical director at the Renfrew Center in Philadelphia, my friend Sam. Hi, Sam. How are you? Hi, Jen. I'm well. It's so nice to see you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this topic today because uh, I try to listen to as many podcasts as I possibly can and sort of the maternal mental health realm. And um, eating disorders is something um, that I don't hear much about. And I thought it was really important to kind of bring bring to light. Um, I remember, and I was telling you this earlier, that um, when I first started educating women on postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety and pregnancy, OCD, and all of those things, that having a previous eating disorder was a huge risk factor to develop any of those things. And so I think maybe today we just start out by sharing, you know, what eating disorders are and versus disordered eating, which we're going to probably dive into a little bit as well, because I just find that very, I think every pregnant woman can vouch for having some sort of disordered eating while they're pregnant because it's just, it's a different space that you're in. So I guess we can just start there. Yeah. I think that's such a great question. Um, eating disorders versus disordered eating. Um, I would say, I know I've, I've seen research talk about up to 75% of women in this culture engage in disordered eating, pregnant or not. You know, and um, so it's really common with eating disorders to to meet criteria for a diagnosis. You know, you'd have to go to a psychologist or a therapist or a dietitian who specializes in that sort of thing. And there's certain criteria. So the the main eating disorders are anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and then there's a, what we call OSFED, which is other specified feeding or eating disorder, which is sort of when you don't fit neatly in those other categories, you might be diagnosed with OSFED as sort of a catch-all. Um, but there's certain strict criteria that you'd have to meet to be diagnosed with an official eating disorder, which includes length, you know, the duration of how long you're struggling with certain symptoms, um, you know, how long you've been restricting, how long you've been binging and purging, how frequently it happens. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's that strict criteria in the DSM-5 that, you know, anyone can look up, you can Google it online to find it. Um, disordered eating is very common. I mean, it can manifest in a lot of different ways. Um, it can look like restricting, uh, having binge eating episodes, emotional eating, um, abusing diet pills, 
uh, abusing laxatives, over-exercising to undo or to compensate for maybe a big meal or a binge eating episode, um, it, following really strict rules about food, uh, you know, cutting out entire food groups or just sort of following an external set of rules about food where really in, in this field, the way we define disordered eating is anytime you're really going against your body's natural cues. You know, so if you're hungry, but you have this rule that you can't eat past a certain time, or you have this rule that you can't eat anything with this ingredient in it, of course, we're not talking about, you know, allergies and stuff. Exactly. Allergies are, you know, things that you know are a medical problem for you, you know, celiac disease, that sort of thing. But it's sort of when you've created rules in your head about what you're allowed to have, when you're allowed to have it and really shutting out that intuitive eating that we're all born with, you know, knowing when we're hungry, knowing when we're full, it's sort of the unlearning of that through diet culture, um, through all the mixed messages we get in the media about how much we should be eating, what we should be weighing, what our measurements should be. And it gets so confusing that we start turning to celebrities and we start turning to different sources to tell us what to do. And that's when we start to get in the realm of disordered eating. Yeah. And I, and I, I feel too, like, especially with pregnancy and the postpartum period, how fast can you get your body back? I feel like I see that headline on like every single magazine, pregnancy magazine, pregnancy article. I mean, and I think that's at like the top of like every mother's kind of wish list is that I want to get my body back as fast as I can. And I think too, to find like a sense of self, what they were before, you know, they had their, their baby, like that's what they're comfortable with. They're comfortable in that skin, in that skin. And it's so hard when you become a new mom because you're, and we talked about this too, where you're just going through so many different changes. Yeah. Um, Emotional, biological, our bodies changing hormones. It's a lot to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we get this information about, you know, how quickly we should quote unquote bounce back and get our bodies back. Like they've left us or something. Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And you know, it's sort of like the body can be so tied up with identity and self-esteem. And especially for those with eating disorders, it's this desperation, like, let me just get back to this old body because there's this belief that maybe I'll feel the way I felt. Um, that was a happy time in my life. Let me get back to that weight, almost as if the two are connected. Right. And, and so, you know, with eating disorders, part of the territory is very rigid thinking. And I think oftentimes what we see is in the postpartum period, very rigid beliefs about how much weight should have been gained, uh, how quickly the weight should come off, um, you know, what it means to have gained that weight. There's a lot of what I say, you know, I always tell my clients, don't should yourself. It's all these shoulds that um, I think contribute to feeling so triggered and, you know, feeling that pull to go, you know, back to an eating disorder. So we see relapses in the postpartum period. And we also see the onset of brand new eating disorders. And I do think that thinking you know, the cognitive piece is really tied to that. It's sort of like, what are your beliefs about what it means to have gained weight? Um, What are the beliefs you've internalized from whether diet culture or your family 
about what should be happening with your body right now. And what we see is that the more rigid the thinking is, the more likely you might turn to disordered eating or develop a full-blown eating disorder. So, yeah. So you had mentioned that you see more common postpartum women coming to your center um, for treatment and things like that. And I'm just curious, one, what their treatment looks like, because I, I just wonder if it's maybe different because they've just given birth and how does breastfeeding come into play with that? I mean, there's so many things that are going on. And then knowing that, um, you know, like for me, I, I didn't have an eating disorder, but I developed, um, you know, postpartum anxiety, OCD. And so I was put on an antipsychotic medication and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder like how, and, 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 oh, and this just came to me. Um, I remember hearing from a lot of women that they would not seek treatment for their anxiety or whatever it is, because they knew that they would probably have to be put on medication and that one of the side effects of medication is weight gain. And, and and that's why a lot of women don't seek out treatment because they don't want to gain the weight. So I'm curious what that treatment is like for women who've given birth and now either had a relapse or maybe going on to the onset of a brand new eating disorder. Right. So, um, as far as the treatment model, there's not much of a difference uh, between how we approach the eating disorder. So, you know, one of the first things that we have to do, of course, at this level of care, which is the residential level, is make sure this person is medically stable. So we have a team of nurses here, nurse practitioner, um, psychiatrists who are monitoring every day. And really the first line of business is let's get you as medically stable as we can. And if that means you need to rest for the first week and not really engage in groups, then so be it. Um, But we wanna make sure medically everything's okay. And then the second thing we want to do is there's almost a relearning process of how to eat and when to eat. So getting structure back you know, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner on a schedule, eating snacks on a schedule. And I think most importantly, is this person eating enough to actually meet their metabolic needs? Because I think many times there are people who come into treatment and they have these beliefs about how many calories they should be consuming because they read it in Cosmo or they heard this celebrity is eating X amount of calories. And we have to actually have a dietitian sit down with them on a weekly basis and educate them on actually how much their body needs to thrive and their brain needs to thrive. I tell my clients all the time, a malnourished brain is a depressed brain. A malnourished brain is an anxious brain. And eating disorders so rarely travel alone because when you're not nourishing yourself, you can expect to have so many other mental health issues because right. the brain and the body are so connected. And so, so that is the second step is let's, let's relearn how to eat, how much to eat, when to eat, paying attention to hunger and fullness cues, being mindful at meals, being social at meals. Um, and then the therapeutic piece comes into play. So there's individual therapy, family therapy. There seems to be quite a connection, especially in the research in the postpartum research especially, relationships are so important. And the perception of relationships, especially how satisfied you feel with your partner, 
who you're having this baby with, if you have a partner or your family members, your support system. And what the research reflects is that the less satisfied you feel in your relationships, the less support you perceive to have, the more likely you're going to feel depressed, anxious, engage in disordered eating, or, uh, you know, you know, be deeper in, into your eating disorder. So family therapy is so important. We have family therapy here once a week. Let's, you know, reconnect with supports, have better communication, you know, repair ruptures in relationships. Is there lingering hurt, resentment? Let's work through this. Because if we can repair relationships, what we see is that it has such a positive effect on not only the eating disorder, but all the other mental health issues. So um, group therapy is really important. Eating disorders are disorders of isolation. So many times the deeper someone is in their eating disorder, the less likely they are to be spending time with friends and family. So we want them to reconnect. And here at this setting, there's a whole community of residents who are going through the same thing. And so when we're talking about how do we treat those who are either pregnant or coming in postpartum, we want to create little communities within the community. So we have, you know, we have pop-up groups like mothers in recovery where, you know, the therapist will assign, uh, you know, if they think a person would benefit from that group, then you have a group of mothers who are talking every week together about the different challenges that come with motherhood that come, you know, come during pregnancy, during the postpartum period, and you're connecting and you realize you're not alone, which is so healing. So there's a lot, first of all, it takes a team, it takes a village to treat an eating disorder, but it also takes a community of others who are going through the same thing, which is so important. So it's about your treatment team, but then also about the the healing power of the community. Yeah. Yeah. We find that a lot, even just, you know, talking about the, the postpartum period in general and how mothers need to connect with other mothers because there's still so much of this stigma around, you know, what motherhood's supposed to be like and what it is actually like sometimes for a very high percentage of women, which is not the, you know, the Hallmark card kind of storybook television show kind of world, just not the reality. And so, yeah, that it becomes become very, you know, I've, I've failed already. I hear this all the time, you know, I failed already as a mother, you know, because I can't breastfeed or because I had to have a C-section or because I, I mean, we set up all these expectations. Right. And we're disappointed over and over again, because these things don't, really happen. I mean, I mean they, we, we read about it or we see it on a TV show and, and our friends don't share. I mean, when we talk to other moms, I mean, I do. So anyone who's pregnant around me gets yeah. the um, But there's a lot of people that I think sugarcoat it because they don't want to share that side yeah. of motherhood. Well, there's so much shame. Of course. There's yeah. so much shame. And I think that there is this tendency to the automatic interpretation, I do a lot of cognitive work and it's all about, let's look at our thoughts. And this tendency to interpret mistakes as failures. And you know, the work in therapy is like, let's take a look at this. Can we think about this in a different way? Because when we get stuck in these thinking traps of, oh, I, you know, this didn't happen, it must mean I'm a failure. Or I made this mistake, it must mean I'm failing as a mother. And it's so important to really look at that thoughts, those thoughts, because thoughts are so 
powerful. They impact how we feel and how we feel can impact what we do and our choices and our behaviors. And that, you know, impacts our whole life and our relationships. So, you know, we do a lot of cognitive work in therapy and I think you're absolutely right. I, I actually came across a study about um, actually that very thing, interpreting mistakes as failures. And actually it, the research was talking about, you know, those who do that are actually more likely to engage in disordered eating as well. And it makes sense because I think that in this culture, especially it's, there is a lot of secondary gain. There's a lot of positive reinforcement for going on a diet, losing weight. It's like, you get all of this praise sometimes from other people like, wow, like you're working so hard. You're, you know, you're so disciplined. Um, and there's a lot of reinforcement and I think it can create this sense of accomplishment, this sense of, um, pride. And it makes sense that if you're struggling in one area, it's very tempting to just turn right to that as a coping skill. And when you have certain vulnerabilities that can trigger on an eating disorder, you can see how you can very quickly go down that road where it would just turn into a diagnosable eating disorder. Right. I'm curious too, and, and this goes back to even, um, we find this a lot with women who um, have a diagnosed mental illness who are maybe even medicated and they get pregnant and they stop taking all their medications. And so I'm, I'm curious to know as far as women with eating disorders, I mean, I can't imagine that a high percentage of them are actually disclosing to their physicians that, you know, either I've, I've, I'm, I'm, re- I'm recovered from an eating disorder or I currently have one and now I'm pregnant. What, you know, how, because I know it, like you said, it takes a team and from the, from the research that I've done before our interview, you know, that it, there's so many different pieces to treatment um, that, you know, you have to be also open about all of those things. And I would wager to guess that women are not forthcoming with, you know, yes, I have bulimia and I'm pregnant, you know, like I, you know, so how how do you, I mean, what's your advice to women really? I mean, to say, I mean, these are things that have to be disclosed. Yeah. There's still so much shame and stigma around those things. Right. It's so important to, for your care provider to know. It is so important so they can help support you before, during, after your, you know, pregnancy journey and, you know, and beyond. Um, Yeah, there's so much shame, especially during pregnancy. You know, especially someone who is really deep in their eating disorder, there's so much shame about you know, what they might, what might be happening to the baby and, and, but yet so much fear to let go of the eating disorder. I mean, eating disorders are so consuming and they create so much fear and anxiety and a poor mother with an eating disorder, just struggling, you know, what do I do in this situation? It's sort of like, there seems to be no good answer. Um, But yeah, there, there's so much shame. I think also doctors, my hope is that doctors also start asking the right questions and creating that safe space. Maybe just giving a questionnaire immediately 
so that it makes it easy for their patient to disclose. It's let's create the space right. rather than putting the onus entirely on your patient to disclose everything. That's, that's a tall order. That's hard to do um, with all the shame and the stigma. So I think it can go both ways. It's how can providers, you know, help their patients feel safe to talk about this stuff and how important it is to normalize it and how important it is also that, you know, if you have a therapist and a doctor, that these two people on your team are talking to each other, making that collateral contact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that the team is working together because, you know, sometimes with my clients, I say, just let me tell your doctor, let, give me their number, sign a release, I'll call them, you know, and, and, and so, you know, we can help, the team can help support. Um, You know, I think also women who might be afraid to tell their doctor, if they feel safe to tell one person, a friend, or their partner, maybe their partner can go with them and help them and, and support them with disclosing. But it's so important um, so that you have the support during pregnancy and afterwards, um, because it can get really challenging if you have a history of an eating disorder. Um, It's challenging for every, for the general population, for everybody, it's challenging. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, It's so funny that you bring up you know, like a questionnaire or something. And it's, it, you know, in the maternal mental health realm, we, we fight constantly for every single OBGYN to screen every single yeah. woman, you know, um, with the Edinburgh's, you know, postpartum screening scale, you know, just to get that right. number where, you know, where, yeah. where are they just in general? And, you know, we always, we always hope that it's just as easy as them, like giving the, you know, giving them the screen, but, you know, we find it so common that providers, you know, will even give a screen and then not know how to interpret it or not just like not understand or even go over it. I mean, we've had, I've had women like, they're like, I know I scored high on that. And they didn't, like I filled it out, but I didn't about it. And so when I um, try and talk with providers and educate providers who come in contact with pregnant and postpartum women is just, you know, just having that conversation, just a conversation, just like a non-clinical like conversation, you know, not a, Hey, how are you? And leaving it at that, but really just, you know, showing some empathy and kind of just getting down to their level can make such a big difference. And I think that's the other reason why too. And I I love that you guys create those little communities within communities with just moms. Um, because I, that peer to peer is so impactful. Um, you know, there's so many women that have opened up to me at a support group before they've told their partner or their doctor because they feel comfortable, especially when I, when someone shares their own story and they know that that person's going to understand that healing, you know, that's the first step into them, you know, really, you know, trusting their physician to open up to them to get whatever treatment, um, they need. So, so yeah, I mean, I would imagine, I mean, they don't really ask that specific. I mean, I was never asked if I had 
I was never even asked my mental, my mental health history. I mean, I wasn't asked my mental uh-huh. health history. Do you have an eating, you know, do you have a history of eating disorders? Do, do your, you know, any family history of mental health? Like nothing. Like it was all okay. just kind of like, have you ever had cancer? Do you have, do you have diabetes? Do you have, like, it's all these things that are very, um, not the word, I don't want to say testable, but they're te- like, it's black and white. You have it or you don't. That, that right. area of, mental health and, and all these things, this is, you know, especially OBs that I found just really don't want to, like, they want that to create that, treat it as something separate. And when we talk about coordinated care, it's like, it can't be separate because, you know, I mean, everyone has to kind of be involved with this. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think your experience is common, unfortunately, that, questions aren't really being asked and so the data is just not there and they you know if we don't know what's wrong we're not going to know how to help or what to look out for um so it's unfortunate and it's it's one of you know it's such a great thing that you're doing this podcast and doing all of the things that you do because you know how important it is you know to spread awareness and um, the onus can't be entirely on the patient. And, you know, I think we need uh, mental health professionals, doctors, you know, everyone to be aware so that we're also working towards, um, you know, at, that we're asking the right questions and we're looking out for the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even just being aware of if there's any disordered eating happening. Yeah. Somewhat. I absolutely. mean, because I feel like I probably checked all those boxes that you said. I mean, it's, I it's just like, oh my goodness. Sure. Like, yeah, you're not yeah. alone. I, I, mean, I yeah, I, I mean the majority, yeah, the majority of women in this culture struggle with disordered eating. And how can we not, you know, it's everywhere. It's, um, we're inundated with information about what we should be eating, how much we should weigh, um, it's so confusing. There's, and there's so many conflicting, there's so much co- conflicting information out there that right. it's sort of like, you don't even know, you know, what, what to follow. And, and so, um, yeah, it's, I, I think, uh, you're not alone and I, you know, disordered eating can be detrimental. It's like, you don't have to have an eating disorder to be negatively impacted by disordered eating. Right. You know, and also I, I, I try to educate people that you don't need to be diagnosed with an eating disorder to get help with disordered eating or get help with poor body image. You don't have to wait for it to get so bad. It's like, if you're suffering in any way, if you have anxiety and fear around food, or you're really depressed and avoiding things because of your body, you know, there's help out there for that. And you don't, you don't have to have an eating disorder to get help for that. So I really, you know, I remind, I try to remind people of that, that, you know, there's so many of us who struggle with our relationship with food and our relationship with our bodies and we can get support. That's so powerful. And I think I, I, I want to end there, but I, but before we do, you know, if someone's listening to this and they think, oh my goodness, I think maybe I need, I should seek help or at least call yeah. somebody. 
who, I mean, what's your suggestion them calling their primary care physician? There is there, you know, is there a process that you think that's safe for people to take to yeah. reach out? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I would suggest reaching out to someone who specializes in eating disorders okay. because they, they will know how to treat disordered eating as well. It's all part of the same pot, you know, and, and so there are, you know, there are therapists who are eating disorder specialists, um, you know, ranging from, you know, licensed social workers to psychologists. Um, there are dietitians who specialize in eating disorders. And that could also be a great place to start where you can meet with them and they can help you know, get you on track with a meal plan that will meet your needs and they can help you build a better relationship with food. Um, and so that could be a really good place to start as well. I think, you know, with, with a diagnosable eating disorder, it's really the standard of care to have a team. So a therapist, a dietitian, and maybe a psychiatrist, if you're on medication to, to manage that. Um, but yeah, I would say a great place to start either a therapist or a dietitian who specializes in eating disorders. And when finding that person, making sure that you trust them. I, I tell women yeah. all the time, like if, you, if you're not comfortable with your OB, find another one. If you're not comfortable with your yeah. therapist, find another one because yes. you're not, your treatment is, is halted at that point because you're just, yeah. just, you're not open to them. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such an intimate relationship, especially talking about issues and things like this. I mean, especially with your OBGYN, I mean, you, you need to have that, you know, feel comfortable with that person. A hundred percent. I encourage, you know, the clients who come here at the residential level of care, they eventually step down to, um, in time, they step down to an outpatient therapist. And I tell them, it's okay to shop around. Yeah. It's okay. And by the way, as a psychologist myself, we are trained to, you know, navigate that conversation where if you say, I just don't think this is a good fit, we'll say, I'm so happy you said that. I want you to have what you need. I'll help you find, you know, let me help you find someone right. who, you know, what are you looking for? What, what style of therapy works best for you? Right. You know, if you want a more directive therapist or more therapist who's going to sit back and listen. And so just know for anyone listening out there that Therapists know how to handle those conversations. Uh, you know, most of us are trained in that. And so it's okay to say, this just isn't, I'm not feeling like we're a good fit. Could you help me find someone? Right. You know? Don't have to worry about offending somebody. Or Absolutely. Because yes. I think that's probably what, what we think, right? We think, oh, right. We'll hang out, you know, because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt their feelings. <laughs> right. and, and, you know, this is our job. We know how right. to, to nat we know feelings. We can navigate feelings. Feelings, and right. so it's okay. And many times you might discover your therapist will praise you for actually right. speaking up for what you want and what yeah. you need. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, Sam, thank you. Thank you so much for this. Yes. Oh, no, thank so you. So many moms that are so looking forward to this episode. So we will, we will get it out there soon. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Yes. No, thank you. It was a pleasure.